Our Old Testament reading is from Numbers chapter 9. and I did not have my bulletin with me. (laughs) Thank you. Hear the word of the Lord. On the day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant. And from evening until morning, it was over the tabernacle, having the appearance of fire. It was always so. The cloud covered it by day in the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, then the Israelites would set out. In the place where the cloud settled down, there the Israelites would camp. At the command of the Lord, the Israelites would set out, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they would remain in camp." Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the Israelites would keep the charge of the Lord, and they would not set out. Sometimes the cloud would remain a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they would remain in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud would remain from evening until morning, And when the cloud lifted in the night, when the cloud lifted, they would set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, resting upon it, the Israelites would remain in camp and would not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the command of the Lord, they would camp. And at the command of the Lord, they would set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. 
This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. This isn't how we planned for this to go. I think that statement pretty much applies to 2020 across the board. We should have like t-shirts made that say that across the front. I think we could probably all wear that statement really authentically, right? I mean, if there's anything that living through a pandemic teaches us, it is to hold our plans loosely, isn't it? Everything's tentative, which of course is always true, but it just feels so much more like obviously true for everyone all the time right now. But when I say this isn't how we plan for this to go, what I mean is me talking to you right now isn't how we plan to kick off this fall and introduce this new sermon series. Tuck Bartholomew, our senior pastor, was going to do this one. But as many of you already know, uh, Tuck's son Tucker was seriously injured in a diving accident last weekend, fracturing a vertebra and sustaining an injury to his spinal cord. And so Tuck has gone to be with Tucker in Nashville as they treat his injury and figure out next steps uh, for his care. So I just wanted to pause for a moment and say uh, to Tucker and to Tuck and Stacy, to Connor and Emmelyn, uh, we love you. We are with you. Our hearts are with you. We are praying for you. I know you know that. Um, and to really all of us worshiping this morning, uh, if you want to follow Tucker's story, uh, there is a Caring Bridge webpage that you can visit to get updated information or even to sh- uh, send a note under the Well Wishes tab. We're going to include a link to that Caring Bridge page in the e-newsletters for both of our congregations. And if you don't get those but would like access, you can always contact the church office and request access to that Caring Bridge page. But we are grateful that doctors are encouraged by some of Tucker's early signs of progress, yet we acknowledge and recognize there are so many unknowns uh, and a long road ahead. So please do keep Tucker and the Bartholomew family in your prayers. And in that spirit, would you join me in prayer now? Our Father, we, um, we love the Bartholomews. We are so grateful for them and we pray for them. We pray that your love would be very real and palpable to them even today. We pray especially for Tucker. Would you bring healing to his body? We pray for all the Bartholomews as they care for him. Tuck being with him in person, everyone else caring for him from a distance, wanting to be with him in person. God, we pray your blessings upon that family. Would you be with them, be near to them, and may they know your love and your peace, even in this difficult time. And now for us, as we sit with your scriptures, as we open your word and reflect on this passage from Numbers, uh, such a strange book, and we consider wandering in the wilderness and what that has to do with wisdom, would you be our wisdom? And would you be near to us? And may your spirit of wisdom and life stir us, body, mind, and soul, that we may grow up to be more and more like Jesus, and that even now that you would be forming us as those who love you and love others. We ask your blessing now in our time through Christ our Lord. Amen. So think with me for just a minute. Who is the wisest person you know? Like when you find yourself needing to lean on 
somebody else's wisdom. Whose wisdom do you trust the most? I bet if we took a survey of all of us and we all submitted our answer to that question uh, and just surveyed our collective answer, we would see a couple of trends, right? Our, our co the collective portrait of our, of our wisest person. Uh, I think our wisest person, two things. One would probably be old, you know, would be rather advanced in years or at least old-ish, having lived long enough to have some real experience. Uh, and secondly, they would have suffered right, would have suffered significant pain and loss. There's something about suffering well that makes a person compelling, that makes a person's wisdom plausible and desirable and useful to others who are themselves going through a season of suffering or confusion or being adrift. And when I think of who I go to, uh, like who I trust or whose wisdom I'm actually willing to lean on, it's always the wisdom of those who have suffered deeply, yet live into the world with a kind of seasoned joy, a seasoned kindness and humility and peace that seems to be formed in someone really only through this process of deep suffering and deep healing. And that's the kind of wisdom that I can recognize that I want while at the same time recognizing that it only comes by way of a painful process that I don't want. But of course, we're all also very aware of the sad reality that suffering doesn't always produce wisdom and kindness and peace in a person, does it? Just as easily, if not more easily, suffering can make us bitter or cynical. It can make us self-protective, escapist. It can even just break us, leave us shattered. Suffering plus time is a powerful formula, but it has widely varying results in the lives of people who experience it. But of course, that alchemy is at work in all of us, isn't it? That suffering plus time chemistry, because suffering is unavoidable. It's something that we are more universally aware of in 2020, perhaps, than in cozier times. So the question then for us becomes, how do we suffer well? How do we relate to our experiences of suffering in such a way that we become wise and compelling people, the kind who embody that seasoned joy and generosity and kindness rather than becoming embittered and cynical? If you think about Jesus for a moment, right? God in human flesh, the one who reveals to us both God and humanity. You know, the book of Hebrews says that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Just think about that for a minute. That, that same painful process, suffering plus time, that forms people so powerfully. In Jesus, God subjected himself to the same process and engaged it and engaged God in it in such a way that he grew in wisdom, not escapism. That he grew in faith, not cynicism. That he grew in love for God and others, not bitterness or self-protectiveness. You know, one of the beautiful features, I think, of Christianity is just simply that the God we worship in Jesus is the God who proves himself trustworthy by suffering with us and suffering well. And this trustworthy Jesus says to us, Follow me.
on a path that leads both to the cross and to the fullness of life. And what we're going to also be considering this fall in this sermon series that we begin today is that this path on which Jesus calls us, this path on which he says, follow me, this path that leads to both the cross and to true, real, and everlasting life is also a path that takes us through the wilderness. Wilderness is one of the central motifs of the biblical story and a powerful conceptual framework that has really shaped Christian spirituality since the time of Jesus. And it's the theme that we're going to sit with and perhaps wrestle with a bit this fall as we continue our meandering, bewildering journey through the wilderness that is 2020 that Jonathan already spoke about so beautifully. Wilderness as a biblical theme and as a way of thinking about our own experience in the world, it's all about disruption, dislocation, disorientation, uncertainty, confusion, frustration, weariness, all words that fit our various experiences of life in 2020. This time of pandemic and social and political upheaval and economic uncertainty. Our new normal isn't very normal at all. Wilderness has become our common experience in 2020. But then of course, when you drill a little bit deeper down beneath the surface, deeper into our lives, beneath the layers that are visible to everyone and shared by all, uh, we also have our own more personal experiences of wilderness, don't we? And those things take all kinds of forms in our lives. A struggling marriage, a hurting child, an ongoing illness or physical disability, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, loneliness, depression, trauma, addiction, financial hardship, or simply you move to a new place and you don't know anyone. And if that's you and you just moved to Philly and you're joining in, welcome. We are really glad you're here and we would love the opportunity to get to know you better. Please, at the end of the service, click the links and let us know you're here. We know it's lonely to move to a new place and we would love to be able to welcome you here more personally. But the list goes on, right? All the different forms that wilderness can take in our lives. And so the question I would ask you to just reflect on for a moment, what is your wilderness right now? What is that unknown space, the space of confusion, of disorientation? What is your wilderness right now? And if you like homework, I would encourage you to draw it. Don't just think about it or talk about it. Activate your right brain and put it on paper. Draw a picture of your wilderness. I think it's a really healthy exercise for all of us. I've been engaging in some right brain activity, doing some drawings myself in recent months and have found it profoundly helpful to do some of that work. And I think a detailed picture of your wilderness will be a really helpful tool to have as you begin to think about how God meets us in it. Get to know your wilderness. What are the names and the faces that belong there? Because you see, it's in the particulars of your painful disorientation that you will discover the possibility of becoming surprisingly reoriented to God in ways that would have been never possible without the pain. So what's your wilderness right now? And then, where is God in your wilderness? Draw it again. 
the book of Numbers, which we'll be reading through and reflecting on this fall, it tells much of the original story of the Israelites' journey through the wilderness following their exodus from Egypt. And honestly, it's not a very satisfying book to read uh, because it's a slog. And it ends without a whole lot of resolution. It leaves a lot of questions and prayers unanswered. And honestly, I think that's why it's helpful. Because that's what our experience of wilderness is so often like, right? But what we'll discover over and over again as we work our way through the book of Numbers is that one of the disorienting and yet ultimately reorienting dynamics of the wilderness journey is that we come with our questions of why and how long and God continually answers us as if we're asking who. (laughs) We want to know why. We want understanding. We want to know how long. We want an end date. When will COVID end? I am with you says the Lord. A who question, not a why, not a what, not a how long. I am with you, says the Lord. And that's what we begin to see in this passage this morning is just simply God's presence with his people in the wilderness, the I am with you. And then the people's participation in God's movement as he meets them. Now, as I mentioned before, originally, Tuck was going to kick off this series, which I was excited about because we actually did a series on numbers eight years ago, and Tuck did preach on this text, and it was one of the most memorable sermons I've actually ever heard in my life. You're welcome, Tuck. I'm not trying to throw you a bone. That's true. I actually remember it well enough to remember the illustrations and the points and all of that, so I was actually looking forward to hearing it again, Um, but the reason I'm telling you all this is because um, moving forward, I'm just going to steal from Tuck, and I figured go with the reduce, reuse, recycle approach and just give credit where credit is due. So moving forward, a lot of these insights are things I'm just taking from what I heard him say. Uh, And if you hear anything that sounds suspect, it's probably because I'm going off script. But Tuck really led with these two points of presence and participation. And I think those are the helpful ones to orient us as we begin our series again and consider this wilderness journey and what wisdom and wilderness have to do with one another now in 2020. And so if you just look at the story that we have, look at this text, one of the first things that you'll notice as you read through it, maybe that you already noticed as you heard Jonathan read it a minute ago, is it's so repetitive. It's like the same thing over and over and over again. Tabernacle, seven times. Cloud, 10 times. There's like this cadence, this rhythm and it, what basically what's happening is it's almost like the, this, these words are washing over us in this repetitive, rhythmic kind of movement where God is present, his tents are among their tents, his cloud is there in the camp. And that's the picture. And it happens over and over and over and over. And this is the wilderness kind of dynamic. And of course, as soon as you read the story, you're like, what is this? that, right? There's a cloud, there's fire. It's like, this is super weird. Um, What am I supposed to be getting out of this story? Well, it's quite simply the picture of this God who has led his people out of slavery in Egypt, right? If you can remember back, if you know the story of Exodus, it's a God we meet at the burning bush, this mysterious burning bush that's on fire, but not being burned. And God reveals himself to Moses as the Lord, And from that moment, he says, Moses, go and lead my people out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses says, well, who am I that I should do that? And God says, I am with you. 
and this whole miraculous story unfolds and, you know, whole thing with Pharaoh and Moses leads the people out and God parts the sea and they end up on the other side with the Egyptian army destroyed in the sea and God has vindicated his people and delivered them and now they're on the other side. And then the wilderness journey begins. And for the next 40 years, the people of Israel meander through the wilderness of Sinai, through the desert. And what's really aggravating about that is that if you were to plot the course, like how long does it take to get from Egypt where they were leaving to the promised land where God said he was taking them? The answer is it should take about 11 days to make the trip. But it takes them 40 years because they go the long way, the very, very long way. But over that time, as God leads his people through the wilderness, what you see is God is with them. And so they have this tabernacle, which is a tent. It's a portable temple that moves around. And it's this place where God essentially makes his home at the center of his people. And in the temple worship, basically people bring their experience of life into connection with the life of God. And the tabernacle, the tent of God's presence in the midst of the camp, is the sign that God isn't way far away up there somewhere. But God is here. God is with his people. He comes down. You know, the final form of the book of Numbers that we have uh, comes from a time uh, when the people of God are returning from the exile in Babylon and Persia. And they're telling this wilderness story in a moment when Israel's coming back home to their homeland after having been taken away and their home had been destroyed and then they've been gone for a long time and they're brought back. And their homecoming is disappointing. It doesn't feel like home. The stuff that made it feel like home had been destroyed. The social structures had been eroded. The institutions had all fallen apart. And so they were feeling not like they had finally come home. They weren't feeling like they had landed in some permanent rooted place. They were feeling like they were still in the wilderness. But the story of Numbers helped the people in that moment of disillusionment, in that moment of disorientation, in that moment of disappointment and frustration and weariness. It helped the people find home with God. Eight years ago, when Tuck preached on this passage, um, that song by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, the home, you know, the home is wherever I'm with you song, that was fresh back then. Um, and, uh, and essentially it, this, it, it fits so perfectly what the point is of this part of the text. Because essentially what you're seeing here in God's establishing his own presence in the tent of meeting at the center of the camp with the people is that home isn't any place in the Sinai wilderness for them. It's not like a plot of land that they can, you know, stake out and say, this is our home. But home is wherever God is for them. And when God would take up and move on, they would take up and move on because home is God. And as you and I think about this text and what it means for us, especially as we are living in the disorientation and dislocation of COVID time, of life in fall 2020 of all times, I think a question for us to wrestle with is what is home 
and what makes it home. I've been spending a lot of time in my home. I imagine you've been spending a lot of time in your home and um, it can get cramped and it can get frustrating. And doing school at home can get extra frustrating and doing school and work at home at the same time can get extra frustrating. And it can be really easy to begin to think if only we had space, if only we had somewhere to go, if only things would open up, if only we could do this or that, if only, if only, if only, if only there were a vaccine, if only COVID were over, home would become home again. But what this text pushes us to reconsider is what makes home home? And what God is teaching his people through the painful disorientation over 40 years of taking a long meandering journey that should have taken 11 days is the long, slow, patient stripping away of everything else that they thought made home home and establishing among them God as their home. So as you think about your own life and what you would want, what you feel you need for home to be home, for your life to be full and meaningful, what do you want, you want it to be? Whether it's career oriented or whether it's, you know, marriage and family kind of stuff or whether it's your, you know, getting into the right program or your kids thriving or whatever, reaching financial goals or or even in the you know, socio-political climate of our day of just you know, when racism and sexism and prejudice are eradicated from the earth, then home will feel like home. And you know, the reality is that might take a long time. That's a noble fight that we all need to participate in. But what does it mean for home to be home? And what Israel was discovering in God was that their deepest identity had more to do with their relationship with him than with anything else. And that's true of you and that's true of me as well. And one of the gifts perhaps of COVID time is that some of the, the disorientation that needs to happen in order for reorientation to take place, that that disorientation that we're experiencing is the gift of the wilderness where we meet God. God's presence in the wilderness, now let's consider the people's participation with God in the wilderness. We've already spoken about the repetitive nature of this text. The cloud moved and Israel moved and the cloud settled and Israel settled or God spoke or God commanded and they went and God said stop and they stopped. What we see is that God's movement, God's agenda, God's timing take root in Israel's life and in their imagination. It's what drives their life together. And so when God moves, they move. If they don't, God moves on without them and the one who is their home is gone. So you think about this journey, right? It's like they're wandering around the desert, an 11 day journey that takes them 40 years because they go the, the insanely long way. Imagine being one of them. Imagine being part of that group that takes 40 years to do what should take 11 days. I mean, the inefficiency of that is bewildering to me. It's hard for me to even think about that, much less do it, right? Imagine how frustrating, exasperating that would be where you're an Israelite and it's like you set up camp and you're going about your daily life and you're like, you just don't know. Is today gonna be one of those days where the cloud moves or not? We don't know. We're not told. It might be today, it might not. And to live that way for 40 years 
without being able to really make any plans that aren't inherently tentative. That kind of feels a little bit like the world we're living in, right? Not as extreme as that, but like life in COVID time feels like that. Every plan is held with an open hand because we have no idea what gets shut down tomorrow. Open something up, it could be shut down next week. Don't open things up, we don't know what the future brings, right? There's, we just don't know. We wanna make plans that we can't make. And so I think this story is really helpful for us as we begin to see what happens when a people lives in relationship with God, moving through a world like that, moving through a wilderness journey, we begin to see there is a pattern, but it's not a pattern that's based on their plans. It's a pattern based on the movement of God among them, that wherever God is, that's their home. There are so many obstacles, I think, for us uh, as we begin to think about what participation takes in this time of wilderness journey. Um, and one of, the, one of the obstacles, I think, is simply that we do get stuck in our heads. We want to know the why. We want to know the, the how long. We want, uh, we want all of the, those questions, and we don't think to ask the who question, right? We seek understanding, which is inherently hard to get in the wilderness time. That's what makes it wilderness. It's confusing. We want understanding. What we really need is attachment. We need to be with God. We need to connect and commune with the God who actually meets us in the wilderness, who answers all of our heady questions with the I am with you and I love you answer. We need to be held and known by that God. And sometimes to rest in that and to be in that space actually requires that we give a rest to our endless seeking of our plans, of our quest for understanding, of our needing all the answers. Sometimes the wilderness strips that stuff away such that we simply must be with the God who is with us. Dallas Willard describes his golden triangle of spiritual growth. And he has three points on the triangle. At the top is the Holy Spirit, the author of our growth. And the next corner is the planned disciplines or practices, the things that we do because we know that they're wise practices and that's how God grows his people. But then the third are like the actual circumstances of our real lives, the places where we really live. Not special time, like retreats and stuff like that, but in the doing the dishes, in the interpersonal arguments, in the sharing space, in the real stuff. That triangle is where God is at work, where the Holy Spirit takes the real stuff of our lives, meets us there and grows us. And so growth, Willard says, takes an awareness and an engagement with each of the three. Wilderness, what we'll find, exposes the ways that we don't wanna do that. Wilderness, we will also discover, is something that the Israelites don't always live in very well. They struggle with their wilderness experience. And what they find is that wilderness, it exposes the places in their hearts and in their lives and their attitudes where they really don't want what God wants. They don't want to follow. They don't want to be led. They don't want to be fed. They want to do their own thing. And you and I are just the same way. But the gift of wilderness is that it exposes that to us and in that exposure, we meet the loving God of mercy who is with us in it anyway and committed to leading us through it into life. So what is this wilderness of 2020 exposing in you? 
What is the disorientation in your life that may lead to a surprising reorientation? As we close, I just want to think about what happens when you pull this story through Jesus and refract Israel's wilderness wandering through the prism of the gospel of Jesus, this one who the gospel, gospel writer John tells us came to be made flesh. He tabernacled among us is what the word is there. His tent was a human body just like ours. This is how God has come to be with us in the world. But here's the thing. You know, we like to think maybe that if we had a fiery cloud or pillar or whatever, that, you know, that God leading us in that way, that we would do well. We would get up and follow whenever God moved, that that would make it easier. The reality is that when Jesus came and God tented among us in such a way, what did the people do? They didn't move. They refused to move with him. They retreated from him. They didn't participate. But what did Jesus do? He kept moving. He kept moving with God. He kept moving toward others in love. He never tried to exploit his own godness. He never tried to protect himself from the sufferings of the world. And so he suffered because he moved through the wilderness with God in love. He just kept doing what Jonathan was talking about in his storytelling about, you know, he kept demoting himself essentially of putting himself beneath the needs of those around him to his own suffering and death. But God raised him up as the great verdict over that life of love. And so we continue on this side of Jesus's resurrection to wait because we don't experience the fullness of our homecoming. We know that but we also know that we don't experience the complete absence of it either because God has come to make home with us as son and spirit. Jesus has come and his spirit dwells in us and among us and leads us. His spirit makes his home with us and his spirit has called us to be home for others, to be the very home of God in the world, a place where, as Rowan Williams describes, where God happens for others. In your wilderness experience, as you slog through the fall of 2020, as I slog through the fall of 2020, what do you need to know? What do I need to know? Simply this, God is with you. God loves you. And God is trustworthy because he's the one who comes to suffer with you and to suffer well. And his wisdom is that compelling wisdom that you desire from your wisest person. And that wisdom is wisdom he's working in you as you enter into this wilderness journey with him and share in the sufferings of Christ. And so the invitation this fall, will you attend to the presence of God in your wilderness? And will you participate with him by his grace and through his spirit? May God give us grace that it would be so. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, whose most dear son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we, walking through this wilderness in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.